Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Podcast Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace, a podcast that highlights the role of women peace builders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to communities, eavesdrop on their communities and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States, their dreams and hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. This is She Talks Peace. Salam dear listeners. Welcome to She Talks Peace. This is Amina Rasul Bernardo of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy greeting you from Manila. And here's my tireless co-host who has finally rejoined us today. Hi, Amina. Hi, everybody. To all our audience in She Talks Peace, this is Ayesa. And I'm based here in Penang, Malaysia, in Pulau Pinang. So my backdrop is still in Kota Kinabatu, Sabah. <laughs> but I've actually moved here you know, a week ago. And I'm just in between jobs, so I'll be joining a new university next week, which I will announce to you next week. <laughs> yeah, hi, wow. how are you? But your your heart is still in Sabah, huh? That's right. You know, I I really miss missing Mount Kinabalu. So, how are things in Manila? Anything new? Oh, lots and lots of interesting things. You've been you you've been away from uh, Mindanao for a little while, and um, we celebrated the ninth anniversary of the signing of the comprehensive agreement on the Bangsamoro. There was a yeah. event. There was a, an event to celebrate it, and um, I was one of the speakers together with our friend. Ie Coronel Ferrer, who was the chief negotiator for the government. Uh, chief Minister Ibrahim um, uh, was, was there as well. And siyempre naman, as usual, Ayesa, when it was my turn to give my comments, I asked about, what about the women? <laughs> but you know, Ayesa, <laughs> that, while you were away uh, recuperating from your surgery, we had some really interesting conversations on uh, our podcast. We had the uh, oh, yeah. last episode, um, Ona Caritos, Attorney Ona Caritos of the Legal uh, Network for Truthful Election, was our guest. And we had a an interesting talk about women in Philippine politics and what she thought about the electoral code 
of the Bangsamoro. Oh, very interesting yeah. conversation. Yeah. Especially must, since Ayesa, the Bangsamoro region was able to include in the electoral code 30% of candidates of any party has to be women. Isn't that nice? Oh, Something okay. That's that. good. Congratulations to the congratulations legislators to, of Guam. Yeah, yeah, congratulations to your friends, Ayesa, who are in the Bangsamoro Transition Authority, who maybe yeah. are seen as parang troublemakers by, <laughs> by the men. So, And then before that, uh, Dr. Socorro Reyes also... We also talked about Philippine politics and uh, misogyny, you know, mm -hmm. um, the oh, harassment of politicians. So lots yeah. of interesting discussions that we had while you were away. But, you know, we were yeah. hoping that uh, you'd be well so that we can yeah. have our conversations again. Actually, Amina, I was in Manila two weeks ago. I was in Manila for a straight one week, you know, with my daughter because I was doing my artificial eye with my ocularist. An ocularist is somebody who makes an artificial eye. So the technician making artificial eye. So I was there for a week, but I made sure I did not do any work. I did not contact anybody for work, including you. <laughs> I have to admit yeah. that I was really just focused on, you know, uh, meeting my doctors. I had two doctors in Manila. So that's what I did. Yeah. But now I'm back slowly. Yesterday, we were talking in our personal chat. You know, about you know, the challenges that we actually face as women. Now, especially you know, for the both of us who are Bangsamoro women. And we actually belong to two generations of women. You know, that I, I think many times we tend, we ourselves, we tend to forget you know, the challenges that we've gone through. And how we have been in a way helping you know, every generation of women and transitioning. You know, so that we can have more successor generations. Like when I met you, Amina, I mean, for the benefit of the audience, I was actually still a student when I first met Miss Amina Rasul Bernardo. That time you were the chair of the National Youth Commission. That right, That's Amina? Right. And then I was, I was a delegate, you know, I was one of the delegate of the Ship for Southeast Asian Youth Program. Yeah. That's right. 19. Should we say the year? Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. As, as, as the Tagalogs would say, 19 kopong kopong. I never really no. understood what 19 kopong kopong meant. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's how you get away from mentioning yeah. years. But the, I remember those years at the National Youth Commission from zero, from scratch. Uh, we had to create a government agency that would... Um, be responsible for developing the development policy for youth. And I remember very well this um, very aggressive, vocal, young Muslim women, you 
and Samira. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that applies more to Samira, but not to me. Yeah, but going back to the time when you became chair of NYC, I mean, I mean, let's face it, during those days, kasagsagan, if I can say it in Filipino, kasagsagan pa yun ng armed conflict in Mindanao. And then you became, you know, uh, in a, you were put in that position, minister level, and not many Bangsamoro people and a woman at that can get that opportunity. How did it end up in your lap that you were appointed by President Fidel V. Ramos as part of his cabinet? I remember in those days, the first year of his presidency, I was already sending little notes to uh, Joe Almonte who was his national security advisor, saying that, you know, we have got to get young people involved in interfaith dialogue, Ayesa. And uh, Joel Monte liked the idea very much, had a meeting with me, and I had this idea. I think you even participated in organizing this. We had the uh, Light a Candle for Peace, and we did that in all the regions, including, you know, our, our areas in Mindanao. And we had thousands and thousands of young people, students, uh, college and high school students coming together to pray for peace. And I think um, after that, uh, FDR, uh, the, the late uh, President Fidel V. Ramos, uh, probably had me in mind because after that, Ayesa, what he did was he asked me to help him organize a youth wing for the political party. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness, I haven't thought about that in the longest time. I became Secretary General of Lakas Youth. And do you oh, remember Ranjit? Okay. Yes. Remember Ranjit? Ranjit. He was the, um, yes, he was yes, the yes. nephew of uh, President uh -huh. Ramos, and Ranjit's course, mother, Senator Leticia Shahani. Yeah. Yes, Senator Shahani was in the Senate with my mom, Senator Rasul. Uh -huh. So Ranjit was the president of Lakas Youth, and I was uh -huh. his secretary general. And it was after okay, that, after we were working to help young people find a voice within the Lakas uh, party of uh, President Ramos, that he told me, I have an assignment for you. And he said, I want a youth agency. And at that time, there was already a bill on uh, the, the creation of the National Youth um, uh, Commission. So he said, I want you to do that. And make sure the law is passed and then organize it. And you know, this is the thing about women. You never say, I can't do it. Right? That's true. Right? That's true. Your Just boss, take it. <laughs> your mother, your father says, I want you to do something for me. And what do we do, Ayesa? We think first, um, okay, how? How am I going to do this? So, so yeah. I told the president, said, okay, sir. <laughs> I never really thought about how difficult it was. So yeah. that's, that's uh, what happened. And uh, I'm glad, really, that uh, he brought me in to his cabinet because then I saw how important it was to have a seat at the table. That's and, you know, we, you and I, we keep 
hearing this this phrase, right? Seat at the table. Women should have a seat at the table. <laughs> and we don't really fully grasp what it means until you're there in the room and you have a seat at the table. Then you start saying, what the heck am I doing here? <laughs> but you, you get used to the pressure and then you start uh, using your seat at the table to push for for issues that you think are are important. But you, Ayesa, your seat at the table has always intrigued me because when you were active with Mindanao, anywhere there was a discussion with rebels or a discussion on autonomy and the peace process, you were always there. I was really never involved about Bangsamoro issues until the all-out war happened in the year 2000. So together with my friends, our friends, Samira, Gutok, Zehan Mutin, then we started organizing ourselves, and that was the Young Moral Professionals Network. You know, we, we really started doing humanitarian work. You know, we raised money, and then we sent all these um, uh, food uh, donations and packages, you know, in, in during the time of the all-out war. So that was how I was personally affected. Now, given you that my very, very noisy. Your group were yeah. very noisy. It seemed to me that it was great having your network around because you were saying things, you were complaining about what was going on, you were you know, focusing issue, on, on issues like what are you going to do with the refugees? And our political leaders weren't saying much about it. So you were such a noisy group and, and I'm so and those glad that you were a noisy group. And I remember those sleepless nights when, you know, when all these 9-11 happened and a lot of um, Bangsamoro people and even Balik Islam, those uh, Muslim converts in Manila who've been picked up and arrested. And of course, you know, we have to help out when they ask for help, you know, who's going to represent them legally. You know, those were really um, the challenging times. And and precisely, as I said, I was in the private sector. I really didn't want to get involved in the first place. But when you actually uh, became part of all these um, problems and you realize that we were really very challenged in Manila as Muslims, as Bangsamoro people, because when you have all these, you know, many security problems that are so real, you know, despite that you are a professional Moro, once you are, you know, you experience these things, then there was really no turning back for us, for many of us that we we ended up committing ourselves that we should be part of what's happening in Mindanao. And some of them, you know, the younger generation of young moral professionals network, they are all there in BARM. Even before BARM, they were already part of Muji Bataman's ARMM, like Jehan Mutin, uh, Rasul Mitmog, and many of them. So we were really very proud that, you know, it was a generation of uh, students and uh, professional morals in Manila, and we were really, I think this is our own generation of, is it the awoke generation, the one that they're calling the states, the awoke generation. Yes, we were also you know, awakened because of the all-out war. Yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You know, um, listening, listening to you and remembering the lobbying that uh, you and the uh, the Bangsamoro Young Professionals Network would do, for instance. Oh, I remember Samira. Every time I was going to organize a conference, <laughs> she would beg, lobby, <laughs> constantly harass me to give <laughs> a slot in the conference. <laughs> ayesa But we need to remind them, Ayesa, when we started out, we were not where we are now. I mean, you were a student, not, That's true. not knowing That's what the future held. I was also a student at the, uh, at the University of the Philippines, just thinking about my future and what job I would have. But somewhere along the way, when we saw something wrong in justice to our people, We said, what the heck? I have a voice. I'm going to use it. And, and in many ways, Ayesa, I'm, I'm really glad that um, we have our podcast, She Talks Peace, because we have been able to give a platform for so many incredible women to give them a voice, right? And to let them share their stories and perspectives on issues. Relating to human rights, um, peace and conflict resolution, and even how they manage stress. So let me ask you. Yes. Yes, <laughs> Abu Bakar. How do you manage stress? Oh, I, I watch a lot of Chinese drama, Amina. <laughs> <laughs> you understand Chinese? Well, there are subtitles. You know, this has been the result of the pandemic, of all the lockdowns. You know, I, I was a late bloomer when it comes to all these Korean dramas. So I started with Korean dramas during the pandemic. And then, uh, of course, there's Netflix. You know, but I was really more drawn uh, to, um, you know, very historical type of dramas. Remember, I mean, I'm a film graduate of the University of the Philippines. You know, both of us are alumni, oh, yeah, but I was right. a, I studied filmmaking. That's right. So when I watch, so when I watch movies or drama, you know, I really I'm very conscious about the script. You know how it is directed. You know the 
the scene itself, how is it, you know, uh, organized, you know, I, I really look at this technicality. So that's what draw me uh, to to Korean dramas. And eventually, I graduated from Korean dramas. I went to Thai drama. You know, what, although some of the more contemporary Thai dramas are like the Filipino dramas, you know, a lot of too much emotion. But what I like about some of the Thai dramas are the historical ones. Because that is where I learned about the old Siam kingdom, uh, Burma, you know, how Burma and Siamese kingdoms were fighting with each other. So I, I really like watching those dramas. And of course, after watching those dramas, I would research okay, the history. So that got me hooked on to Thai dramas. And then later on last year, I started now learning about Chinese dramas. Again, I was drawn to all these historical uh, Chinese dramas because, you know, it's an opportunity for me to really understand more about China. Given that I'm also part Chinese, my grandfather on my mother's side, maternal side, is actually, as you said, you know, my name is Uwe. My middle name is Uwe. So they are immigrants from mainland China. So that's what I do you know, to distress. I watch my Chinese dramas and I'm happy with it, you know. <laughs> You're, you're probably going to be so shocked by what I do to relieve stress. I catch Pokemon. Okay. <laughs> really? I, I catch Pokemon. And uh, on, on Pokemon Go now, there's this um, okay. catching uh, bugs uh, that transform okay. They're called scatter bugs, and they you catch enough okay. of them, you can evolve them into a into a beautiful butterfly. But what I particularly oh. love about Pokemon Go is that you can have friends from all over. They send I postcards, see. and I love looking at the postcards from time to time, especially when I'm stressed. Because imagine this: I used to have a Pokemon Go friend from Russia. But uh, okay. after the problem in Ukraine, uh, she stopped, or he, or she, <laughs> he stopped sending postcards. So he had beautiful postcards from from Russia. And I've got them from oh, Croatia, okay. from Peru. Okay. I love my Pokemon collection. <laughs> so that's what I do to distress. Because you I know think what? Watching Netflix can sometimes be stressful, particularly. That's true. That's true. I remember our podcast guests and what they shared with us on how they relieve stress. Uh, Angkana Dilapajit, who's a Ramon Matsaisai okay. awardee from Thailand. Angkana said she would sew. She would sew clothes. And that took her mind off her worries because, you know, she had uh, charges filed against her in court. She was going to be okay. in prison because she was mm -hmm. fighting for the rights of these uh, young Rohingya women who were employed mm -hmm. in this chicken factory in, in Thailand. And then uh, another one of our guests uh, from Lebanon, I think that was Maya Yamut. Maya is a really amazing young woman really beautiful. I mean, she could be a model. And she would go, she and her sister Nancy would go to jails to work with uh, the arrested, the convicted uh, extremists and to distress mm -hmm. 
they would I, open the window and watch the birds, listen to the birds on the tree. Oh, that's very poetic. You know, just to take your mind off mm-hmm. all of the pressure, something completely unrelated. What's the term they use? Um, you have got to get into the zone. You have got to be zen. And I think, Ayesa, I for um, many of our friends, sometimes it gets to be very, very difficult to get to be zen. So I wish we could have a a Netflix show <laughs> that when you watch it, <laughs> you are transported and you become That's right. zen. What you know, I, Zam, I remember. What would Sam say? How would Sam help you to become Zen? He's not going to help me. <laughs> he, he's going to Where add pressure to me. He's going Zam, to, the Zam going, that we're referring to is uh, Ayesa's husband, who is a, a, a very strong advocate for peace in uh, in Malaysia. So why do you say he won't, Ayesa? <laughs> he adds stress to me. <laughs> but he knows he, he has his own zone of distressing. Of course, his motorbikes, which I shared with you. And same, I think, with your family. Your family is also into motorbikes. Yeah, Zam is into all these motor uh, big bikes. <laughs> yeah. But I wanted to share with you a, a conversation that Raisa Jajuri and I had, you know, um, this was during, you know, the negotiations, the difficult years of negotiation between the government of the Philippines and the MILF because year in and year out, we would invite, you know, some friends to come over to Penang for this consolidation for peace. And then, you know, Raisa and I would, you know, would be brainstorming about you know, ideas and what else to do to push, you know, for more ideas on the ground so that we can support the peace process. and. She was the one, I think, who, you know, who mentioned something about how come you have all these ideas? Where is it coming from? How come you you are able to, you know, be very creative about these ideas? And I told her that it's okay, right? I mean, I understand that once you are in that zone, you know, they all go home to Mindanao, they all go home to Manila. They are faced with the reality that they are so bombarded with a difficult situation. Whereas for me, I can zone out, zone in, and zone mm-hmm. out. You know, I'm re. I have because since living in Malaysia and working in Malaysia, you know. But then I continue to work for the peace process. You know, I had, you know, ve- I was very fortunate that I can go in, you know, to the situation, to the armed conflict situation. At the same time, I can get out of it and be really creative and get in touch about what is happening outside of the Philippines, and that gives me a lot of ideas and a lot of positive energy so when i go home to cotabato city and meet you know with some of our friends who are you know i have to say you know very you know hard hard working and who are in a stressful environment like you then i'm the one i make it a point that i'm supposed to be the one giving all this positive energy and adding you know some more positivity to them you know because i understand the kind of situation that all of you are in in the philippines so yeah, that that was yep. to me a, a really important way of supporting each other. Yep. Dear listeners, the Raisa Jejuri that Ayesa was referring to is a common friend. She was one of the advisors of the negotiating panel 
of the Moro Islamic Liberation Front. Today, and also UP, UP alumni. And UP the writer alumni. today is the minister of the Bagsamoro Ministry for Social Services and Development. So she's even ha- under more seen... pressure, more pressure exactly. because now she has to deliver on the implementation yeah. of the peace agreement. So I think really, Ayesa, you have to find a way to bring Raisa and our other friends who are in the thick of uh, <laughs> the work to implement the agreement, mm-hmm. bring them to Penang so that they can eat satay and just relax so that they can recharge and come up with ideas on how to do the job. <laughs> the last time I met Raisa was actually we were together in Tokyo, in Hiroshima in 2014. Yeah, and I know that she's very busy. But as I keep saying to all our friends in Mindanao, you know, everybody's welcome to come to come to Penang so long as you pay for your airfare. And of course, Zam and I will be <laughs> a very happy host to bring you for food, for makan-makan. Penang makan, is makan. for the... Uh, for the benefit of all our audience, Penang is the food capital of Malaysia. So even among Malaysians, they would come to Penang where food is sadap and it's mura, cheap and delicious, only in Penang. <laughs> so please come to and visit me in Penang. Amina. <laughs> oh, so dear listeners, anybody who has uh, interest in summer vacation in uh, Penang, do get in touch with <laughs> Ayesa <laughs> Abu Bakar Uy, and I'll probably see you there but you know Ayesa mm. um, since uh, Women's Month uh, will have ended when this episode comes out I was just I was just mm-hmm. thinking back about um, what inspired us for instance to stay the course to focus on uh, projecting our voice, of making sure that our voices were not diminished. And I was thinking, who inspired you, Ayesa? And can you share a favorite quote you have from from the person who inspired you? <laughs> so during the time of the all-out war, I also remember that we used to have this uh, Nokia phones where we can send uh, text messages. So right. I remember receiving a text message apparently from MILF leader Hashim Salamat saying this famous uh, statement about he has planted the seeds among the Muslim youth, you know, the seeds for right to self-determination. I think that quote really made a mark on me since then. Uh, so in the same manner, you know, I continue to be... Um, you know, to be uh, inspired and to be working harder that if our leaders, you know, our forefathers had that vision that our lives, you know, the lives of Bangsamoro people in the Philippines could become better, you know, if there will be a, there will be peace, then, you know, I continue to look at that as my North Star. In my case, I think the one, well, the first person who made me focus on, uh, our people and um, the need to really work on supporting our community. In a way, it was Nur Miswari. 
Uh, Nurulaji Miswari, dear listeners, is the founder and chair of the Moro National Liberation Front. And it was, um, well, Miswari was also a professor at the University of the Philippines, a uh, university that um, Ayesha and I uh, graduated from. But it was his concept of the Bangsa Moro, the Moro nation. Before him, nobody ever talked about all of our peoples as one. We were Tausu, that's uh, me from the islands, Sama from the islands, Yakan from the islands, another province, uh, Magindanao, Maranao, Jamamapun. But he had this concept that what united all of these different tribes who were in Mindanao, was a shared history, a shared uh, political system, shared educational system, collective tribulations, and the fact that you are all Islamized. Therefore, Bangsa Moro. Bangsa meaning nation, and Moro, uh, well, that's what the Spaniards called us. They came to the Philippines, they saw us uh, Muslims fighting them and defeating them, and they were reminded of the Moors who actually the, uh, colonized part of Spain. So they called us Moro. So that was the first time I really started thinking about the collective peoples of, uh, of Muslim Mindanao. But the one who really inspired me, yes, I was my mom. My mom, from the very beginning, um, she was... Uh, when we were small, she was a full-time housewife. Uh, she would teach illiterates, adult illiterates in her spare time. And we used to wonder where she found the energy. And she would always tell us, you never forget your roots because you are you know, advanced in society. You have an obligation and you cannot turn your back. On, on your people. So I guess my mom is the one that really inspired me. But apart from these rebel leaders and, and mothers, <laughs> who, who uh, has inspired you? I mean, can you think of, um, of anybody? I was just thinking about uh, something that Michelle Obama said, uh, for instance. He said, no country can ever truly flourish mm -hmm if it stifles the potential of its women and deprives itself of contributions of half of its citizens. It's absolutely right. We are half of the world. So how can you have a successful society if you do not listen to the point of view of half of the world? I think that's uh, something that, sh that we should have to keep drumming you know, drumming it into the leaders of uh, mm -hmm. of our governments and our own Bangsamoro communities. What about you, Ayesa? I think it's also important for us to remind everybody, Amina, including ourselves, that you know we are fortunate, you know, both you and I, that we have had men around us who also supported us to become who we are today. Like. For me, in my case, it, it was really my husband, you know, uh, Professor Kamaru Zaman Askandar, you know, who, who 
who mentored me to become a scholar and to do peace, peace work and peace building work. So, yeah, I have to give it to him because at that time I ha I had no uh, qualms or ideas that I wanted to be part of, you know, the peace process. You know, I, it wasn't really in my mind at all, but he was really the one who gave me uh, the the motivation that look you can be you know somebody who can contribute to your own people you now if you become a scholar uh, if you become an academic and you become up a practitioner in peace building you know you you can be that if you want to and then secondly while well, i was also doing you know my own uh, scholarship studying at the time i was already doing my phd and relearning about our history as bangsamoro people i have to say all your writings you know, all the publications that you've done, I've gone through all of it, you know, read it. And suddenly when I was doing it, I realized, oh my gosh, you know, Aminara Bernardo has done these things. You know? <laughs> and it is now, it, it's something that is so useful in my own education. I think if, I'm, I'm sure, you know, when you were doing all these projects, publications with Conrad Adenhauer with PCID, you know, you were doing it you know, as as part of your own work, you know, contributing to the, to the peace process. But lo and behold, it actually contributed to my own education. So that I think I remember sending you an email you know, one time. Because, of course, when I first knew you, I knew already that, you know, it's really amazing that you as a Muslim uh, lady, you know, has been able to, to be part of, you know, uh, of the government at one time. Uh, despite all the challenges that you had to face, you know, being a Muslim and being a, a, a female, you know, but you were able to do that. So two people, you and my husband. I'm so glad, Ayesa. I'm, I'm really glad I was able to help you a bit because that if truth be, be told, the work that you did helping, for instance, capacitate the MILF leaders on, uh, on negotiations, that was rather inspiring because there were not that many really from from our people who so had the capacity to, to do that. But then you had the secret weapon. Now I know. Zam was your <laughs> secret weapon. I'll add another person. A two person, Amina. I think I'll take this opportunity already. Two persons who also supported me and helped me grow in my work in peace building. Uh, first is my uncle, Attorney Abdul Dataya. I think not many people know that um, the former uh, adjunct chair, Attorney Abdul Dataya, uh, was my uh, is my uncle, married to my aunt. And um, in the beginning, you know, uh, when he was joining our consolidation for peace and Penang, he really doubted what i could do with the peace process i remember he was so skeptical about what is it that i'm doing you know but i think towards the middle and after sec two meetings then he started really respecting my work and i remember overhearing him telling another person that look ayesa is actually doing good things you know he's really she's really saying a lot of what she's doing you know makes a lot of sense and what she's talking about is also so important so that was so important for me that finally you know my own uncle recognized me and the second person would be professor abud saidlinga i think the same way professor abud saidlinga was also wondering what is it that i'm talking about 
And especially that in the beginning, I come across as somebody who is not really very serious. You know, I like to smile a lot and I like to talk about many things that I you cannot really uh, pinpoint what is it I'm serious about. So, and that is a normal notion of people who would meet me for the first time. But yeah, I was also very thankful that Professor Abudlinga was so uh, patient with me, was willing to listen to all my nonsense to start until I became more sensible and until you know we could actually converse with each other in very serious and important matters. So Professor Abudhenginga was also you know one of the mentors I have had and you know I was so fortunate that he would also listen to me and I think one indication that he also respected me as you know as uh, somebody who who's making sense there were actually a couple of times that he would send me to meetings in Cotabato City instead of him joining the meetings he would actually delegate me to be attending those meetings and he would tell everybody whatever ISSA says and that is also what I'm you know I'm, I'm bringing on <laughs> so that was the best um uh, I think to me that was really uh, you know um, the best indication that I have become more sensible as a person. <laughs> you know what you what you just shared about your uncle and Sam and uh, Abud uh, Linga. I think it's important for to stress that because here are Muslim men leaders in their fields and they are listening but what is also important to note dear listeners is that they would not have listened to you if you did not force through with your own conviction so you have a voice and you should not be afraid to use that voice because you never can tell that voice would now awaken in the others positive responses somebody somebody said before i think it was eleanor roosevelt who said no one can make you feel inferior without your consent so you are a woman you have definite ideas you have a voice use it because only you can make yourself inferior and, and in your case and in mine ayesa we just won't give up. That's one trait that actually I would want to advise younger women. You know, being persistent, being consistent and persistent in what is it that you want to achieve. One more advice that I would want to give to younger uh, Bangsamoro women and all the women out there is never to forget to learn you know, from our elders. You know, from the for, uh, from our uh, earlier generations because they really have a lot of things to say. You know, maybe you know, some of us you know, are so busy you know, because we feel that we are in the front line. So we know so mm. much. You know, we become experts. So all the older folks, you know, the older generations, you know, their ideas maybe only are, will be only applicable in their generation. You know, time has changed now. Yes, that is partly true. But then again, they have been there, done that. So I'm sure there are many nuggets of history, nuggets of wisdom that our older generations can 
uh, can share with us. When I go home, actually, to Cotabato City um, or even other places in Manila, I would really seek out, you know, our leaders, you know, and talk to them in a personal way, you know, instead of focusing more about being too serious. You know, we should really learn more from them you know, about how they live their life. Just like what we've been sharing, you know, today with our own lives and how we become, um, you know, uh, become part of this um, conflict and peace process, you know, experience in the Philippines. You know, so we should always take that opportunity to talk to our uh, older generations. And I was just going to say, we shouldn't also forget that it's very important to cross the generational divide and and talk to young people because they have so much to share. And um, before we we end our program, I I really want our listeners to remember what uh, the young Pakistani girl Malala Malala Yousafzai. What did she do? to merit a Nobel Peace Prize. She was, what, she was 11 maybe? She wasn't even a teenager yet when she got that award. And it was because... It was a child. She wanted, 11 she year wanted child. to continue learning. And she wouldn't stop. But of course, like you and me, she was very lucky she had a supportive father, a supportive mm-hmm. family. But Malala, little Malala, one little girl, wouldn't allow anybody to stop her quest for education. And then they threw uh, acid at her face, right? But she continued still, persevered, because she knew that education is the great equalizer. If she's educated, then she can really develop and soar. So, you know, just because you're a child or a young girl or a young boy doesn't mean you cannot accomplish great things and uh, we should we should end with um, a really nice quote from malala which i hope continue will continue to inspire uh, young girls and young boys and uh, she she said i want every girl to know that her voice can change the world and in malala's case it did start uh, start to do that and dear friends, that's why Ayesa and I are hosting She Talks Peace. Talk peace. Because we believe that if we use our voices often enough and we do not allow ourselves to be stopped or pressured or, or scared, then the world will listen. Right, Ayesa? Very loud voice. <laughs> loud voice. <laughs> So I'm looking forward to our next um, episode, um, Ayesa. So dear listeners, thank you for joining us for this episode of She Talks Peace. This is Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy saying, see you next time. Ayesa, over to you. Thank you again, dear listeners, for joining She Talks Peace. And this time around, Amina and I shared our secrets or our personal stories. But please, we would welcome all your comments and feedback. And maybe you have some suggestions to us. You can actually email us at shetalkspeacepodcast at gmail.com. So we're looking forward that you join us again next time. Goodbye, everybody.
Goodbye. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.